an extraordinary thing happened not too long ago. Out of the primordial ooze, out of the ancient everything, you were born. You took a breath and claimed this life. You became a unique and blessed gesture of creation to live and move and have being. The chance of your birth is so incredible that it boggles the mind. The sperm-egg combination that came to be you had a chance of 1 to 10 or 15 million. And of course, the chance of your mother or father being born was equally small, extending back through your ancestors, making the possibility of you so rare that it cannot be measured. You arrived. You arrived with a particular body and way of being, immediately met with stimuli from the world. And so you began your journey of feeling and experience, thought and understanding, hunger and wonder, being taught what your world was teaching you and navigating what your life was telling you. This is how we come to be. The knowing of our original source, still present in each cell, is soon interlocked with the mechanics of being and the logic of material life. We then begin to forget that we're all connected, and bit by bit we see ourselves as separate, not only in space and time, but in being and spirit. We then tend to feel alienated from the source of all life which we share, and that drifting away brings the fear assumption that we have to fend for ourselves. In enters other fear responses and the need to feel in control. In enters comparisons and competitiveness, marking of territories and systems of security. In enters distrust and denial, distortions and defensiveness, all in an attempt to feel good and whole, something we were when we were born, something we do not need to build from scratch. I love the saying of Carl Sagan's that says, if you want to bake an apple pie from scratch, first you have to create the universe. <laughs> we are embodied life, a response of life intermingled with all life. When we come to that recognition, when we allow the awareness that our breath is an exchange with trees and connected to the majesty of wind, when we open to the understanding that the pulsing of our blood resonates with the flow of rivers, when we come to know the truth of our interdependence and so our belonging in all of life, our responsibility to all of life, we understand that the wisdom of well-being for all life is in each of our cells and all around us. You are in this mix of being. You are before any judgment. You are before any comparisons. You are before any opinions. You have being, and in your being is a truth that belongs to no one else a truth that is part of everything else. 
It is a truth that for your lifetime is being expressed uniquely through you. At some time, most people come to a place of asking, who am I? What is my purpose? What is the meaning of my life? How do I shape this time I have on Earth? These questions have been taken up by philosophers, scientists, and theologians since the beginning of human consciousness. This year marks the ninth annual Evolution Weekend. 582 congregations of many faiths from 13 countries will address the relationship between religion and science this morning or Saturday or Friday night, promoting the fact that these two systems of thought are not in opposition to one another. The theme suggested this year is different ways of knowing, asking different questions. As many of you know, there was a debate this week aired through the internet at the Creation Museum in Petersburg, Kentucky, about whether the six-day creation model is scientifically viable. Any of you see that? Listen to it. <laughs> the debaters were Ken Ham, founding president and CEO of Answers in Genesis, and Bill Nye, known as the science guy. <laughs> Most of you do, yeah. We got to hear the views of our origins from a biblical literalist point of view and a science educator. The biblical literist would say that the earth is 6,000 years old and Bill Nye would say, how can you say that when you see the Grand Canyon and all the layers of, of, of rocks? And then the Ken Ham would say, but nobody was there during that time. So how can you assume that what is now true was true back then? And Bill Nye would say, well, of course we can see what is now that is true. It's natural law. It's what, how the earth works. And they went back and forth and back and forth. Clearly, we saw different ways of knowing and debate. And I don't think the two became more convinced of the other's view. Both did have a little sense of exceptionalism in them when I was listening, though. Ken Ham, the uh, creationist, kept talking about that we had death because of man's sin. So that's the whole uh, um, way of thinking that death, since we don't like death or we're scared of death, it must somehow be a punishment, that there's something wrong with us that we die. And that there's, you know, then something wrong with cows because they die and horses because they die and fleas because of whatever. But that death, uh, just uh, surrounded by a fear of death and a sense of vulnerability and a sense of mortality as being something that proves that we are inferior, wrong, punished. And so that was setting up a dependent relationship to life's mystery or to God, a dependent relationship and a sense of exceptionalism because it's, it, it assumes that the world was formed for man, that because man dies, that there's this punishment thing, that, you know, that we are the center of the universe, that we're the most important thing in the universe. So there's that exceptionalism. And Bill Nye, the science guy, kept asking Ken Ham, what can you prove? Which is also a bit of exceptionalism because that assumes that human perception is the ultimate proof test, that the only important information is what humans can fathom. So there was that going on with both of them. And then they both also offered some humility toward the majesty before them. Ken Ham 
asked uh, Bill Nye, why do you assume that because of evolution, the people that came before us were not as skilled? And that's a very good question, I think, because we can sometimes assume that, that we're just getting better and better and better and better. When it actually, evolution isn't necessarily about improvement, it's about expansion, it's about transformation, it's about what, what happens when this happens, you know? So there's folk that were very wise, millions of years ago, well, thousands of years ago, probably, and um, folk that are not so wise today. And then Bill Nye also asked, and this is, the, this is what's forwarding the rest of the sermon, and I think this was a beautiful statement. I was going, oh, I hope people heard this. You and I are one of the ways, you and I are one of the ways the universe knows itself. You and I are one of the ways the universe knows itself. And this is a concept that is gaining more and more ground in scientific circles and in religious and spiritual circles. The other thing that Bill Nye did say, which I guess I, I should, in case anybody is wondering, reveal which side I agree with, <laughs> is that he, he was talking about how you know he was really urging anyone who was watching to have science education and keep it, you know, with proof tests, have science education in classrooms, do not avoid it, You're, you know, we will not be able to live in this evolved universe if we do not keep up um, with our natural ability to understand. In Unitarian Universalism, the way that we know the universe itself is really uh, covered in the uh, seventh principle, the interdependent web of all existence, of which we are a part. We participate in all existence. We are one beyond our singular knowing, but in our cellular truth. We are one beyond our singular knowing, but in our cellular truth. When I felt a uh, call to ministry, it came out of the blue, actually. Um, and it surprised me and shocked me. Um, I had to play a certain um, bit of music when I would come home just to get myself to, uh, to keep going with this sense from within that, um, and it really did feel like a, a calling. I, it, was, it was like, it was nonverbal. It was sort of from my cells to open up my life to affirmation, that there was too much uh, negativity, too much ways that we are sort of stuck in our lives, and that there was a way to understand how to, how to free ourselves from there. That was sort of the, the feeling I was getting. It wasn't, uh, that was what my sense of calling was. And I had no idea what shape that was going to take, but it was very, very strong. And I ended up uh, in seminary nine months later, it seemed that there was a way that we could find all the pieces to fit together if we worked on it. And though, you know, being imperfect, that was part of the whole thing, but there was this kind of urging that I felt. And Craig Hamilton, pioneer in the emerging field of evolutionary spirituality, would name what I experienced as an evolutionary impulse, breaking through behavioral patterns to welcome uh, a larger, deeper freedom of being, which is guided by the impulse toward harmony of all. It's, a, it's, a, it's an impulse toward harmony of being and 
ultimate inclusion. Um, and affirmation, affirmation of life. Now this isn't a uh, new thought, I mean Ham, Ham was right, wisdom does not necessarily improve. Thousands of years ago, the ancient I Ching te teaches that evolution is the joint approach of all parts of the cosmos to harmony. Evolution is the joint approach of all parts of the cosmos to harmony. So we all must do this together. And that's part of what, if you start to think about what evangelism, that's a, it, it, you know, it, I think it's a, a bit of a um, misinterpreted impulse, but it is the evangelism that some folk do where they say, you must believe what I believe, for you will get to heaven kind of thing. That is, I think, a, a, a misrepresentative, misrepresentation, but a genuine urging for all the parts to come to harmony. And that's what I Ching called uh, evolution. We in our lifetimes will probably not come to that unanimous recognition of shared being, the interdependent web of all existence, a unanimous recognition of shared being. But we can make room, we can prepare the ground for an ever-expanding consciousness. We can come to a place where we know that we are, that we are contributors to whatever happens next. We are contributors to whatever happens next. So we can break patterns of behaving to come to a fuller sense of the freedom and responsibility to participate in harmony with the cosmos. Because when we are free, we are in vibrant conversation with life, which is ever transforming. Somehow we learn how to be a part of that. When we are free, we choose life, for we no longer fear death. We do not see death as punishment. We do not see death as bad. We do not see it's just a part of how life works. When we are free, we come to know that the well-being of others is a key to our well-being, the joint approach to harmony. For to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, remarked Nelson Mandela, he spent 27 years in prison, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. We can feel shackled by many things, the state of our body, the circumstance of our work, the pull of relationships, the oppression of governments, the power of emotions, the lack of physical resources, the threat of violence, the fear of failure. We can be shackled by many things. We can avoid our freedom to keep our choices limited. We can deny our freedom to skirt the responsibility of being fully alive. For with freedom comes responsibility and natural calling to shared being and conscious choosing because we can choose to be kind. We can choose to be true. We can choose to be present. We can choose to be grateful. We can choose to consciously evolve, to enter the mystery of more. It takes practice and discipline to unshackle the mind. It takes courage to trust that we belong. It takes a willingness to love life. It takes humility toward the grand scheme of things of which we are a part. 
and the wisdom within it that can guide us. There's a thrilling, awe-inspiring, sacred possibility for your life, writes Craig Hamilton, and for human life. It's possible for life to finally make deep and profound sense. If we're going to find those resources long forgotten and open our hearts to a true partnership with life, then we're going to need to find the courage we seek in our own being and brave the mountains to climb with our own steps. Not because it's entirely up to us, but because we're called to fully participate, else being will be incomplete. We're caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, wrote Martin Luther King Jr., tied in a single garment of destiny, injustice, which we can see as disharmonious being. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. As in most wisdom traditions, a consistent message is that we must deprogram the distortions and distractions within our psyches in order to come to well-being. These distortions come in many forms, greed, wanting, regret, resentment, hatred, fear, the need for power over, to name a few. Simply put, we lose our way when we trust in those distortions. We create a disharmony with the cosmos when we try to control and do it all on our own. This can be felt in various forms of dis-ease and dissatisfaction, an emptiness within, a depression, a low burning, a constant anxiety, a dread. It can come in addiction and uncontrollable anger. In fact, if we feel these things, we have the opportunity to address the disharmony. If we can feel that we're doing this, our true self is giving us the gift of a wake-up call with these symptoms. Craig Hamilton has devised through years of inquiry and meditation spiritual principles of evolutionary culture. He speaks of how we have to break our old patterns of behaving to come to a new way of seeing much like what Albert Einstein offered, we cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking that created them. We cannot solve our problems with the same level of thinking that created them. So I'm going to offer just a few of his principles for your consideration toward vibrant evolution and opening our hearts and minds to something that we can't... Um, control or predict because it has to be a different way of thinking than we're already thinking. So it's kind of a scary, it's a leap into the unknown. First, you have to have a wholehearted intention to transform. Wholehearted intention, you know, to love yourself for who you are, but let yourself continue to be who you will become. You also have to have a commitment to engage. You have an intention and then a commitment participation. That's one of the reasons that we have church, that we have weekly meetings of church. We have consistent meetings to sort of remind one another of what we're doing, of the participation that we need, a commitment to engage. The other is, um, borrowed from Zen Buddhism, a beginner's mind, which basically means you suspend what you already know. You don't get rid of it, but you just suspend what you already know 
and open to what you can learn. It also can be called a willing dispension of disbelief. And then when you have all of that sort of ready, you speak from an authentic part of yourself. You speak from a deep and authentic part of yourself, which probably means there'll be less talking. <laughs> and deep listening, same thing. You hear what the other person is saying. And then the other thing that he said, just these, there's a lot, so I just want to give a few. To um, allow for your evolving edges, don't judge them. Just see them, you know, wherever you're stuck, um, and allow for it. And keep going with the deep talking and the deep listening, and it'll find its way through. And the other caveat is, if it's not uncomfortable, then you're probably not evolving. There's much that we can do together to prepare the ground for expensive knowing, expansive knowing. <laughs> That's the stewardship uh, <laughs> sermon, sorry. Expansive knowing and harmonious ways of being. Here in this faith community, as we encourage each other's blooming and support each other's being, here in this faith community, as we structure an inviting presence and challenge the longing for connection, here in this faith community, as we honor our living principles and train for beloved community, we can come to know the power of our choices and the need for our participation in the well-being of the world here in this community. So may it be.